Like, it really was. Like, I just had enough. Like, I, it was fine. I was like, this is great, but... Well, when you're in your 20s or 30s, maybe yeah. you, your, your libido is a strong... No, it's yeah. actually insane. Yeah, yeah, I was not... Definitely was... As we age, we mellow. Yeah, which I think is great. Although, I have to tell you, one of the most depressing divorces I ever did was a guy who was, I think, 92. Oh, jeez. And the, what made it depressing is that he had left his wife of... I don't know, 50-something, 60-something years for a younger woman, a woman in her 50s. And I just remember what was sad about it to me was this guy is still being led around by his dick. Like, I thought, oh, my God. Like, I'm going to be chained to an idiot forever. Like, I'm going to forever be led around by my dick. And I remember thinking, like, no. I really thought that at, like, 90-something, I would just, like, a beautiful woman would walk by and i go, oh, there's a human being. Like, there would be no... You'd appreciate it without... Yeah, there would just be no sense of, like, yeah. You know, there would just... That would be gone from me. And this guy's proof that 90-something years old and you're still thinking with your dick. Like, I... I, That terrified me. It really did. It actually upset me. Because I thought, man, I thought at some point I'd get to experience what it's like. To just be with, free. You, you live in New York where there's there's a financial industry, there's, oh, yeah. there's there's all kinds of industries here. Oh yeah. But to me, sometimes I, I wonder if female attractiveness isn't the mo- the highest valued commodity in our hundred percent it is. Hundred percent. It is. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because men are becoming youth. rich and powerful in order to get a woman. Of course. The woman they want. Of course. The, what a what an attractive woman. And when I say attractive, I don't just mean attractive, I, I mean even just sexually confident. I mean, what an unbelievably lucrative career that is. Like, I do divorces for people that, you know, one walks out with two, three hundred million dollars. He was an analyst at Goldman Sachs who built a hedge fund and then sold it and then used his trading algorithm to build it up to five hundred million dollars. She was hot (laughs) and slept with him for a while and then stopped and started sleeping with other people and playing tennis and having Botox, and she's going to get half. Like, that's fucking incredible. Like, do you know what he had to do to get that? And what she had to I'll fuck that guy for $200 million. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, that's insane. That's incredible. What's up, my Housewives Relatable listeners? It's your girl, Stella, coming to you once again to talk about it all. Hi, guys. I hope everyone is doing well on this Thursday. In the preview clip, audio clip that you just listened to, it was the voice of um, divorce attorney James Saxton. And guys, I have mentioned this before. I have many interests outside of the real housewives, (laughs) but I always find a way to make it relatable to uh, housewives for some reason. So I'm just going to get there soon. So that was the voice of James Saxton, divorce attorney in New York. And uh, he was basically giving an interview with Mark Laida from Soft White Underbelly. For those that are not familiar with the show, he has a podcast. Pretty much all of his uh, videos are available on YouTube. Very interesting content if you like that kind of stuff. Um, Full disclosure, though, uh, it tends to be quite dark. He tends to interview, you know, people from sex trafficking, like from the sex trafficking world or people that are battling addictions, people with bipolar disorders, like very interesting stories. Um, But it tends to be a little bit on the dark side. Right. So 
And uh, if you are familiar with that family that he interviewed a long time ago, the Whitaker, um, you know, it was under that podcast as well. So anyways, uh, I was just scrolling down last week. Um, I was in Montreal at that point and, uh, you know, I just decided to check YouTube and because I watched a lot of Mark's videos, um, this one came up just out of nowhere, right? So I was just like, hmm, I recognize the face and I also recognize the name. And I was just like, he looks kind of like this attorney that I've seen before, right? And um, <laughs> turns out that James Saxton was Louis Ruhella's attorney in his, um, you know, he has like a legal battle with Vanessa Reiser, his ex, the person that he was supposed to marry back in 2020. I don't know if... Um, James is still Louis' attorney currently, but he was his attorney at the time. Something that had to do with like money that Louis put in Vanessa's account and also like something that had to do with the engagement ring that Louis wanted back, right? So he was, um, James was representing Louis at the time. And um, he is also Louis' friend based on the information that I was able to gather. So... I uh, just thought that that was very interesting. And by the way, guys, I am wondering what is going on with the whole uh, restraining order uh, debacle. I haven't heard back uh, on anything when it comes to this. I know there's other YouTubers, podcasters um, that are following the story, but I haven't heard anything from them as of yet. So as soon as I hear something when it comes to the restraining order debacle, I will share with you guys. But for now, I do not have any updates when it comes to that. The reason why I'm bringing this interview with Mark Leda uh, to you guys uh, from Soft White Underbelly and James Saxton, it's because James is definitely a very colorful and interesting character, okay? Uh, I don't have a personal opinion when it comes to him, but um, it is undeniable that the interview that he gave to um, Mark Leda is quite interesting. So I would encourage anyone that has not seen the interview to actually look for the interview on YouTube. Uh, it's under, it's called A Divorce Attorney's Thoughts on Love and Marriage by James Sexton. Sexton, sorry, I kept on saying Sexton. So yes, it's a very, very, very good interview. He is a little bit of a character, funny at times, a little bit cynical and sar sarcastic, which, um, you know, I tend to kind of like when people give interviews, but to each his own. Um, one thing that I wanted to share with you guys, uh, given that James represented or possibly still represents Louis Ruhelas and is also Louis' friend, um, it's his thoughts on getting um, um, a prenup, right? And obviously, he is a divorce attorney, so it would make sense that he would be in favor of people getting a prenup, but I thought that his thoughts were quite interesting on the matter, uh, given his friendship and relationship with Louis, right? So I'm just going to play you um, the, the clip so you can have a listen. Now again, get married as many times as you want if you have a prenup. If you have a prenup, go get married. Getting married's a blast. Being married is difficult. You know, someone once said that that it's great to be married sometimes. The problem is you're married all the time. So you're a fan of prenups? I'm a huge fan of prenups. I mean, I shouldn't be because 
a prenup for a couple of thousand dollars will save you hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially in legal fees, if not millions. So there are clients I have that have spent over a million dollars just in their legal fees that if they had spent $2,000 on a prenup, we would none of that. They'd still have that money in their pocket. And that's incredible to me. Like I have two sons who are adults that they are absolutely going to have prenups. Like they have to have prenups. They'd be fools to not have prenups. It's like jumping out of a plane with no parachute. Why would you do that? You know, it's, it's just, it's stupid. Prenups are enforceable. They make sense. I actually think there's something very romantic about prenups because they're forcing you to have a conversation about this relationship. Like we, I genuinely believe that we are the most aware of our health just after we got sick, right? Like when we, if you wake up and you have a toothache, all you can think about is that your tooth hurts. And then your toothache goes away. And for like a week, you take care of your teeth. You go, oh my God, at least I don't have a toothache. You know? But then a month goes by and you don't wake up and go, well, at least I don't have a toothache. And you know, it's the furthest thing from your mind. But theoretically, you could wake up today and go, I don't have a toothache. I don't have a backache. I don't have a head cold. Like, this is a great day. What does a typical prenup look like? Typical, the easiest prenup in the world. Easiest. Yours, mine, ours. That's it. Yours, mine, ours. If in your name, it's yours. If it's in my name, no, it's mine. Like in a, in a divorce, everything, all the assets are split 50-50. Well, no. What you say in a prenuptial agreement is if it's an asset or a liability... If it's in my name, it's mine. If it's in your name, it's yours. If it's in our joint names, we'll divide it 50-50. That's it. Yours, mine, ours. And then you have to have ongoing conversations throughout the marriage about, you know, hey, I got this bonus at work. Do I put it in my account? Do I put it in the joint but account? If a husband owns a house that's worth, whatever, $2 million, mm -hmm. and he marries a woman, mm -hmm. the house is his still? Well, they have to have a conversation. <laughs> Do I owe you a house? That's an awkward conversation. Do, okay. You know what's a more awkward conversation? A conversation 10 years later with a lawyer about the fact that you have to give half of this house away to someone. Isn't it better to have that conversation when you still, like, why Why would you learn how to fight in a fight? But won't that, won't that undermine the love that each person why? feels? Why? Why? You're going to die. Does that undermine your life? Or does it make you conscious of the fact that this is finite and that you should be out there? Like, I think having a conversation with your partner about, look, I love you. You love me. We, we want to do this thing together. But the numbers are against us and the world is antagonistic to it. And I hope we'll be together forever. But if we split up, what do we owe each other? What do you expect from me? Because I have to tell you something. I'm a fair person. I'm a fair person. If you say to me, you know, Jim, I, I, if... I'm not going to work as hard because you make a good living. So if we split up, I'm going to need help for a couple of years because I'm not going to pay attention to my career. Hey, does that, is that unreasonable? It's totally reasonable. You know, if I say, hey, listen, I have this house and I bought it, you know, but I'm buying it with money that I made really before we were together. So if we split up, I don't really think you deserve half of it. I think that if we bought things for it together, that okay, those things you can half of, but the house itself, like that's money I had before I met you, and why can't you have that conversation? Why not? You instead, I mean, you buy a house, you do a HUD one, a lead paint disclosure, you got to sign all these things that this is how much the interest is going to be, and this is what you get married, you didn't get a fucking pamphlet, you don't get anything. You just did the most legally significant thing you're ever going to do, other than die. And no one has explained 
any of it to you. People come into my office and they go, well, my retirement account, that's in my name. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's in your name. Okay. Was it acquired during the marriage? Okay. She's got half of it. Well, I have this bank account, but it's in my sole name. It's money that I inherited from my mom. I'm like, okay, and it's in your name. Yeah, but you inherited that money during the marriage. And did you put money that you earned during the marriage in that account also? Yeah, okay, that's commingled and transmuted. That's now marital property. So they don't know that. Why? Because no one tells them that when they're getting married. All it is, you spend more time talking about the cake than you do talking about the fact that you just opted out of the title system. That's gigantic. You can't legally change the beneficiary of your life insurance, even to your children if you're married, without your spouse signing a consent to that. No one tells you that when you get married. You get married, Elvis can marry you for $20 at a drive through cathedral. And you, it, it's a legal status, a massive legal You buy your spouse a Rolex, you bought yourself one half of a Rolex. You buy someone a birthday present who you're married to, you bought them you bought yourself one half of that birthday present. Nobody knows. People don't know that. They learn that for the first time in my office or in a courtroom. That's insane. What, what other thing in the world, like anything else, any other contract, you would say, well, wait a minute. No one explained that to me. No one explained that to me. When I leased this car, no one explained to me that there's wear and tear. It doesn't say it anywhere in the contract, right? Okay. Marriage contract doesn't say that. It doesn't say, you know, oh, and by the way, you're opting out of the title system and your retirement assets and all these other things. And if there's any debts and you could have enhanced earning capacity or celebrity goodwill that has to be valued by forensic accountants, that will cost you $100,000. You don't, no contract that says that. It just says, yep, we're getting married. It's two witnesses. We're good. Like what other contract, what other contract in the United States or anywhere has that lack of disclosure and is that binding? None, zero, none. So what, a prenup, yes, that's an awkward conversation, I guess. I don't know that it has to be. And, and I can tell you, the more awkward of a conversation it is, the more you should think twice about getting married. Because if you can't have a conversation with this person about the possibility that someday one or both of you might hurt each other, like how many people, while they're still happy and in love, say something like, you know, babe, I love you. But we're going to disagree about something at some point. And when we do, how, how do you like to fight? Like, do you need a minute? Like, do you need, like, to be alone for a minute so you can kind of calm down? Or are you the, like, hey, we got to figure this out. We can't go to bed angry. Like, because let's talk about that now while we're not in a fight. Like, let's talk about it now while we... Well, we still get along and we're happy and we're trying to figure out how to navigate each other. It's hard enough to navigate yourself. I want to navigate another human being. Why don't we have that conversation now? But no, we don't. We learn on the job. We learn how to fight in a fight, which is insane. You know, but but again, why? Well, because it's you know it's awkward. It'd be awkward to have that conversation. More awkward than getting in a fight where you don't know the rules of engagement, where you don't know how your partner does better or would feel better like and, and you're not going to ask them that in the heat of battle you know so why wouldn't you have that awkward conversation while you have this abundance of affection for each other i mean when i negotiate prenups it's the easiest thing in the world in a sense because these two people really like each other you know they're about to get married so they're clearly not trying to kill each other at that point they clearly like each other so you just say hey, listen go home talk to your fiance about x y and z and see what they, you know, see what they think. 
and see, tell them what your concern is. And, and very often people will come back and say to me, I, I mean, I have to tell you, I've been doing this now, you know, over 20 years. I do a lot of prenups. I do maybe five, six prenups a month, sometimes during like pre-wedding season, which is the fall and before the summer, I'll do 10, 15 a month. The people who say to me, oh, well, I, I don't want to have that conversation. You know, I think that, they, they get the prenup and within three, four years, they're divorced. Sometimes five years and then seven years, but they're the ones who get divorced. They, they, they have no business getting married. Like the ones who have the discussion and figure out the, well, I'm worried because if I, you keep the place, yeah, you're right. Okay, so what if I give you this amount of money and it's this much for each year? Okay, yeah, that's cool. Let's do it that way. Those people, they'll probably never put the prenup in a safe someplace. You'll never look at it, probably. Good. So that was James Sexton, uh, Louis' attorney, in his case with Vanessa Reiser's position on getting a prenup. And uh, anyways, I thought that, that that was a very interesting uh, statement from the lawyer, uh, given that Lou and Teresa did not get a prenup, and they were both very adamant about not discussing this with the public, which I understand because it's really none of our business. This is something that they should decide uh, for themselves as a couple. However, um, you know, I think that it was normal for people to want to uh, advise Teresa to protect her assets if she has any, uh, to protect her future for herself and for her daughters, and also to advise Louis to protect his assets if he has any as well, right? Because he claims to have all of this money and to be very wealthy. So it kind of doesn't really make sense, the fact that he wouldn't want to um, protect himself should something uh, go south with Teresa. And also, I don't know, I kind of get the feeling that Louis uh, did not get a prenup with Teresa, but was maybe not opposed to getting a prenup with his other partners, his other fiancés. Um, if you recall, season 12 um, at the reunion, Louis says this, and I'm just going to play it out for you guys. He says this to Andy Cohen breakup video but in the video you actually proposed so what was it um was in a relationship it was toxic and my business partner was going to this retreat so i said let's go and we weren't naked on the beach we we're wearing uh gym shorts because they kept sending us in, in, in and out of the ocean going in and out of the ocean they made the men in set intentions to their wives i was a single guy so i made this intention to this woman that i was dating i was trying to break up but i had the gut to do it so when i went there they made me commit to her God, and basically said, stop making excuses, and I committed to her. And you wound up coming home, and then you broke up. I wound up coming home, and she gave me a prenup, uh, asking me for a million dollars to get married. And that didn't go. Yes. No, no. You that's a, like that. That's, a, no, that's how you explain the video. That's a Okay, guys, so I know last week I promised you an interview and I said that I had been working on getting this person to come on and um, I was in communication with this former housewife from the Real Housewives of New Jersey. And um, at that point, you know, there was no firm commitment, but 
the former housewife had agreed to chatting with me uh, at that point in time and everything was going well. And then uh, eventually, you know, um, communication kind of started like not necessarily stopping, but I felt like something was a little off um, during our conversation, maybe just the amount of time that it took to respond from the initial um, communication that we had. So um, while I was listening to um, All About the Truth um, last week, one of the girls, I can't remember which one, said that um, they were going to have Amber Marchese. They, well, they actually said Amber Marchese, but I think they meant Amber Marchese uh, on their podcast. And I was like, oh, okay, so they're having Amber on their podcast. And then I reached out to Amber to say, um, well, you know what? I think it's just probably best at this point that we don't do the interview right now because you're going to be on their show. And, um, you know, not to bash anyone, but I know that they tend to want to um, that particular podcast, that's what they do. You know, there's no shade, no hate uh, from my part, but I'm just saying like they tend to like to bash a particular current housewife on their show, which is Melissa. And that's just not what I want to do. Um, I had 17 questions planned for Amber. The guest was supposed to be Amber. I had 17 questions for her uh, and none of them had to do with Teresa or Melissa. Actually, there was just maybe one that had to do with uh, the Teresa and Victoria Gotti situation that I just wanted to kind of uh, uh, bring up again, not necessarily to bring light to the rumors um, about uh, Teresa and Nicole's mother, but just the behind the scenes um, on how that whole event took place. Because um, I don't even know at this point if Victoria Gotti or Teresa are still friends. I know there was some friction after that scene got released year, years ago. Uh, Victoria claims that she was telling the truth, that, you know, Teresa knew that she would be filmed, that she would be mic'd, and that she would be coming on to say this on camera. Those were the claims made by Victoria Gotti at the time, and Teresa basically just said uh, the whole time, well, I have nothing to do with it. I didn't know that she was going to do this. Um, so I kind of just wanted to have a little bit more clarification when it came to that whole scene. But other than that, I didn't have any questions for Teresa or, or about Teresa or no questions at all about Melissa. I know that Amber and Melissa are probably not in a good place right now. Um, I didn't think it was necessarily what I wanted to do. I didn't want to bring her on just to give her an opportunity to bash someone, right? Because at the end of the day, the way that I see it is the name of my podcast is Housewives Relatable. And I understand that people love gossip. So do I. <laughs> and I understand that people want to talk about housewives. And that's what that's my commitment to you guys. We're going to talk about housewives. But if I'm going to bring on a former housewife um, from the show, um, my intent was to mostly talk about Amber and to talk about who is Amber because she was only there for one season. It was kind of like an opportunity to give to, to give her the opportunity to, you know, um, explain herself, portray herself to the public in a way that we did not know her, right? Because um, obviously, I say that all the time. It's reality TV. Um, I'm not sure that it's 
actually real. Um, what they say is real, but it is definitely manipulated, edited, and all of that. So people are kind of just like, you know, build into these characters and somewhere in between lies the truth, right? So I thought it was interesting to talk about Amber because, and you know, I want people to be understanding of this. Um, even though I like Melissa or even though I like another like other housewives, if I choose to bring people on, it doesn't have anything to do with who likes who or who hates who, right? It's really an opportunity to give them to just kind of like show themselves in a different light and, you know, just talk to me about what they've been doing since, um, they're, since um, they're not on the show anymore, like, you know, after the show, like their life after Housewives, right? So at the end of the day, I was not interested in talking or bashing Melissa because I know that that's what people want to hear, people want to do. And it should kind of just prove to you, like just by the last interview that Siggy gave, right? Siggy, she went really hard for Margaret and you know she gave a first interview that was broken into two parts and then l four weeks later she gave another interview that was broken into two parts again and then I was just like is it really necessary are we really gonna learn anything different that we didn't know um about the first time and again it's just like Siggy went on and she doubled down on her hate for Margaret and I'm not saying that Siggy does not have any reasons to feel the way she feels about Margaret uh, that's their relationship right but what I'm saying is I don't really understand why Siggy would come on and you know she likes to say that she's all about this women empowerment and that she's all about women and building each other but what I what I heard on her interview with um, all about the truth was basically her bashing Margaret on her looks uh, making fun of her age like making fun of her like shaming her right which which I didn't think was cool because if you think that you are so above it and that you're so smart and that you know you can speak so many different languages like use your intellect you know to to make a statement about someone but the fact that she was personally attacking Margaret's teeth and her look and the fact that she looks old according to Siggy those are not my words those are her words I just don't play. <laughs> I just don't play in that mud, right? And I am not for censorship. If I was to have an, a housewife, well, not a housewife, it would have to be a former housewife because I've said to you guys before, I'm not interested in speaking to housewives because I feel like they're all under a gag order of some sort, even though, even though it might not be an official one. They can't really talk about stuff too much. They'll always like refer you back to the show and say, well, you know, you have to kind of watch the show or you have to watch the reunion. I can't really touch on that right now. I think it's it's more insightful and powerful of an interview to have a person that is no longer on the show. So um, the fact that Siggy went on that interview and bashed Margaret again, I was just like, no, that's not what I want to do. And now uh, the girls from All About the Truth have confirmed that um, the, the interview is not out yet with Amber, but they have confirmed in their um on their podcast today that Amber disclosed a lot of stuff about Melissa. So I don't know, like people seem to say this all the time. They did the same thing with Siggy and they're like, oh, tell us, like, were you privy of what Melissa was doing behind the scenes that you can share with us? Be because we're all ears. We want to, we want to know, right? 
And uh, <laughs> at that point, Siggy said, no, I wasn't privy to that. Like I, like, I don't know anything, right? So people always say that Melissa is this big mastermind, that, you know, she is this big puppeteer, or I mean, puppet master, and that she controls everyone, but then nobody wants to give her credit for her time on the show and the value that she brings on the show. So I thought that that was very... Uh, I, th I think that that's very interesting. Like for people that like to say that Melissa is so insignificant, they sure give her a lot of credit being the mastermind of it all, right? So anyways, so back to Amber. Um, so after careful consideration, I don't think that I will be doing an interview with Amber anytime soon. And the reason for this is because... Um, I don't necessarily want to jump on that bandwagon. If that's what she wants to do, that's okay. She can go and bash Melissa on another podcast. I don't want to piggyback off of that interview and make it seem like I'm connecting myself to this. So I'm not going to interview her at this point. I'm not saying that I'm not gonna in the future, but I find that I won't do, I won't be connecting with her regarding an interview because it would be too soon. It's unfortunate though, because I do find that, um, people like Amber, whether you like them or you don't like them, or some people do not like her husband at all. Um, definitely an interesting character i'm always interested in talking to people that are interesting and different and have different opinions that's what i'm about and that's what i want to kind of uh, bring forward to you guys and there was a lot of stuff that were written in that book from all not all diamonds and rose which is a book by dave quinn but also an andy cohen book right um Amber has alluded uh, several times that she was misquoted in the book, that she gave uh, David an interview. I think she sat with him for like four hours or something. And then um, her quotes were used in the book and misquoted or put out a context in the book, right? And according to Amber, this was done intentionally because, you know, Andy Cohen does not like her and does not like her husband. So I wanted to give her an opportunity to kind of speak on that, right? Given the circumstances that are happening right now with um, Amber, uh, with Bravo and uh, the network and the lawsuit and more on that later. So, yeah, that's what uh, that's what I wanted to share with you guys when it comes to Amber. So I am currently working on another guest. It won't be a housewife. I'm trying to manage schedules uh, at this point, but I think it will be a very interesting interview if we can make that one happen. Because as I said before, I try to find a way to make it relatable to housewives always. You know, guys, um, about Bethany and the lawsuit, okay? I just thought that I would say this very briefly um, when it comes to the matter. You guys know my opinion about this. I have shared it before. I am not against the lawsuit in itself. I do not uh, think that the points that were brought up are not valid points. The problem that I have mostly is Bethany po posing as the ring leader of that lawsuit and, uh, you know, acting as if like, oh my gosh, you know, Bravo is doing all of these things and it's such a toxic environment for minors and, and uh, you know, children and uh, people are being forced to 
uh, be put in situations that are very detrimental to their mental health and people are encouraged to drink and all of that stuff. I'm not saying that those points are not valid. Obviously, it is a reality show. Uh, I do understand that they need, like that Bravo or NBC needs to do a better job at protecting their talent and making sure that you know, people are safe. Um, the people on the, under their network are safe. So that being said, um, I don't know why when Bethany started with this whole thing, with the whole lawsuit and, um, you know, after that whole strike that is happening with the writers and all of that. So I was thinking, I don't know why Bethany reminded me of and I'm not about to get all political on you guys but to me she reminded me of Michael Cohen you know and I'm not saying that I'm for this party that party like first of all like I don't you know I, I I'm not sharing my opinion when it comes to this right but she reminded me of Michael Cohen and I will tell you why because I remember at some point in time when that gentleman and Michael Cohen um, was the fixer. He was known as the fixer for um, president. I'm going to spell the name because it's not just going to be on that podcast. This is going to go on YouTube and I don't want this to affect the algorithm. So <laughs> I'm going to spell his name T-R-A. T-R-U-M-P, so that president, right? And uh, he was, you know, having a hearing in front of Congress at some point in time, and he was basically trying to explain or convince or tell his story as to why he thought that this person was such a bad person. And I'm not saying that he is or he is not. I'm just talking about what happened a few years ago with Michael Cohen. And... Um, one of the members at some point in time after listening to his story, he said, and for some reason that kind of stuck with me. He said, listen, I don't have a problem with you telling your story and saying all of these horrible things that, you know, this president has done, but um, it's not like you worked with him for like 10 minutes. You know, it's not like you worked with him for 10 hours and it's not like you worked with him for 10 months. You worked with him for 10 years, for over 10 years. So I kind of have a hard time believing that, you know, you have all of this opinion about this person that is such a horrible person, but you worked with them and stuck by them for 10 years, right? So when it comes to Bethany, I kind of feel the same way. It's not like, you know, everybody has, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people these days have um, the desire to become, you know, famous or to be known and to be on TV. And at some point in time, that's something that Bethany aspired to do. And she did. And, you know, at that point, at that time, when Beth Beth Bethany was introduced as a New York housewife, I was a big fan of hers. I like the fact that she was broke. I like the fact that, you know, she she um, had a smart mouth, but she was funny. She was so relatable at that point, season one of uh, New York Housewives. But then later on, something changed, and then eventually she left the show, and then she made her millions, and that was great, and we're happy for her, and that's not an issue at all. But Bethany left the show, then she had her spinoff, spin uh, Bethany um, 
Bethany is getting married and then Bethany ever after. And then after that, Bethany was just like, oh no, I'm done with Housewives. I'm not doing the show anymore, yada, yada, yada. That's fine, right? But then she came back to the show years later. And then she came back to the show and already her persona was a little bit different. It wasn't the same Bethany that we knew in previous years, right? But it's okay. People are not supposed to stay the same. People are supposed to evolve. People are supposed to, you know, they go through things in life and it's kind of unrealistic to expect for someone to stay the exact same person than they were three, four, ten years ago, right? But then Bethany left again and then she came back. <laughs> so it's like, which one, is, which one is it, Bethany? You know? And I've said this in my, I, I don't know, I don't recall if it was my previous episodes, but Bethany is talking about all of the horrible tra treatments that the, the Bravo or NBC talents are receiving. But at the same time, she is giving terrible advice to Raquel. She is saying that if she does it right, if she negotiates her contract and asks basically for a shitload of money, then, then she should come back to the show. So why would you want to go back to a show that has mistreated you. If you are advocating for the fact that this network is bad, is evil, and they're doing horrible stuff to their talent, why, why is it okay to ask for more money in order to be subjected to those atrocities, right? And it's the same for Bethany. Like Bethany, she was opposed to doing legacy. And I think it's in Andy's book. Andy said that he approached her about legacy and she was kind of cold about the whole thing. She wasn't very warm to the idea, but she listened regardless. And then basically said to Andy, oh, well, you know, um, she, she was trying to negotiate a very high contract for herself. Like, I think it was something like, I'll do it for a million dollar or something. So obviously they probably didn't want to pay her that much money and then it fell through. But again, why would you want to subject yourself to that treatment that is such a horrible thing um, for just for money, right? It doesn't make sense to me. Like Bethany is a major hypocrite and I'm not afraid to say it. I know a lot of people love her. I don't, I don't care that they do. I, I'm just saying that just because she's rich and just because she's made her fortune does not make her an expert on everything. I think at this point, Bethany just likes to listen to her own voice and likes to listen to her own self talk all the time, right? But she is not uh, aware of her own narcissism. And I don't even like to really use that word, but I feel like there's not much different uh, difference between Bethany and other people that are currently on the show. We're not going to name who they are, but you know what I'm trying to say here, right? And, you know, I, I, talked, I talk often about my sign and I say, oh, I'm a cancer and I have my crabby senses and all of that. And it's kind of weird because something eerie happened today that I did not know of. And uh, I've been thinking about this whole thing, like I said, like Bethany is like the Michael Cohen of Bravo, right? And then something came up where Carol, Carol Radswell, who used to be friends with Bethany when they were on the show. And if you guys are fans of New York, you know that eventually their friendship kind of just went south. And by the way, I don't know Carol personally. I just know of her for being on the show. But, uh, and also, you know, 
she was like a journalist at some point in time and a writer and I like people that write. So um, Carol was on Heather McDonald's podcast today and she said, and this I thought was so eerie guys, because she said on that podcast that, do you guys remember when Luann was um, going to marry Tom? And, you know, everybody knew that Tom was not really kind of like the the marrying type, right? And Bethany had that whole scene and she was like in the room hyperventilating and just causing this big scene, right? In front of Luann and in front of the world. And she's like, oh girl, I care about you so much. I'm about to tell you that the man that you're about to marry is cheating on you and I'm going to tell it in front of the world. I'm such a good friend, right? So anyways, um, I read today, um, and I have to give the credit to that account. Actually, I'll put it in the sub, I'll put it on the sub stacks guys, and I'll put it under this podcast. I just can't recall the name, but I definitely want to give that person's the, the, the credit that, uh, content creator. So, um, the person who took the picture, cause if you guys recall, Bethany said to Luann, I have proof that Tom is cheating on you or he was at that hotel at the Regency and uh, he was with another girl, right? And I have proof and here's the picture. So it came out today on Heather McDonald's podcast that the person who took the picture of Tom kissing that woman at the Regency was in fact Michael Cohen, the ex-president uh, fixer, right? So I thought that that was very interesting because Bethany is operating in similar ways, right? No wonder she thinks that Louis Ruhella's hiring private investigators and, you know, getting some dirt on the cast is something totally smart to do, right? It's smart because Bethany is doing the exact same thing, right? Anyways, I will tell you guys, if you have not listened to Heather McDonald's podcast with Carol, that segment, like if you jump maybe at the 18 minutes or something like that, they start talking about Bethany and it is such a great interview, like a great, great, great interview. It's a, it's a, it's a must listen, right? So anyways, guys, that's all I have for today. Thank you so much for listening. And again, be a fan, not fanatical. Ciao!